I'd like to talk to you a little bit tonight about Taylor Swift. Um, let me pause here to, to clarify. I want to talk about more about a conversation I had about Taylor Swift. I had to start there um, for my siblings in the audience or any who know my dad. You, you may remember when he would give a sermon and he would give a somewhat surprising pop culture reference. He'd get this little smirk on his face like, yeah, I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to know this or uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be cool. I'm just kind of being more self-effacing than anything. Um, it, it, that was the idea. Um, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, as you know, probably Taylor Swift uh, descended on Minneapolis not long ago, the most popular musical artist of not just our day, but of probably generations, um, more than, what, 120,000 people uh, coming to U.S. Bank Stadium to hear her sing. And this was a big deal at my workplace because some of my older partner colleagues have teenage daughters. And so it was a big deal for them. Apparently they had money to spend or contacts to exploit. And so they brought their daughters to the, uh, to the Taylor Swift concert and the dads themselves went along. And so you can just imagine around the office they're talking about going to Taylor Swift. And I was communicating with one colleague that um, is a very thoughtful man. We've talked very deeply at some level at, about spiritual things, and he is not a believer, but very thoughtful, very thoughtful, very contemplative. And he texted me. He brought his one or two daughters uh, to this concert, and he said, you know, as a pastor, I would be thinking a lot about how Taylor Swift connects with her audience. That's interesting. He said, as a pastor, I, I, if I were you, I would be really thinking about this. And really, if you think about how Taylor Swift connects with her audience, it is truly astonishing. Here is a woman, what, probably around 30 years old, and she is singing songs that of the 60,000 people in the audience, every single one knows every single word. They are singing along to every single word which they know by heart uh, one of the same friend texted me a video of when Taylor Swift came to the stage and he looked, he was sending a video of his daughters and the other young women that were around. And you should have seen and heard, like just the decibel level went from here to, to here, right? Screaming, jumping, yelling. I mean, just out of, out of just your mind kind of excitement. And he said something that I was forced to, to think about a little bit. He said, I think it's something about her speaking something that's in their hearts. I thought, huh. I think it, he said, I think it's about Taylor Swift speaking something that is in their hearts. She, he said, I think it has something to do with the fact that she doesn't speak at them. He said, like I tend to do. She is speaking for them. She's speaking for these teenage girls. Well, I'll let you meditate on that and whether that explains the, the, the cult-like appeal to Taylor Swift's fans. But I had to think about it as I was reflecting this week on the Psalms. There is a, a way that the Psalms speak to us. There is a way that I'm going to encourage us tonight that we can use the Psalms 
in a way that I think brings out some, but not all, of the truth of what my colleague was suggesting. And it is particularly relevant to how we use the Psalms when we understand what it is that the Psalms are communicating. When we reflect on the fact that Psalms are music. In fact, in the Greek, when we use the noun in the Greek, Psalms, we're literally speaking, the verb form of that is to pluck, like you're plucking a string. Literally, when you use the word psalm, you are literally communicating something about music, about poetry to music, and about the subjects that music is expressing. Tonight, as a kind of template, I want to look at Psalm 22, which combines one of the most raw forms of emotion anywhere in Scripture. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I want to try to understand how we might use the Psalms in our daily experience, looking not just to the text of this Psalm, but looking to how Jesus himself used this Psalm and others in his hours of trial and agony. The title of the message this evening is simply this, Using the Psalms. Using the Psalms. And I hope that this evening we all will leave here more committed to ensuring that the Psalms are not just a part of our scripture reading when we're going through it in our yearly Bible calendar but that the Psalms will become more a part of your daily life as your personal hymn book. Psalms that will speak for you, Psalms that also will speak to you, and Psalms that therefore must be with you. Those are our three points tonight. Psalms that speak for you, Psalms that speak to you, and psalms that therefore must be with you. Let's start, first of all, with this concept of psalms speaking for you. Now, any of you who are music fans or are a person who enjoys or engages with music, know what it is for a song to speak for you. You know that. This is, the, this is the peculiar power of music in that it tr- transcends every single culture, every single language, every single musical style. Music speaks for you. In, in this way, music is a vehicle for your emotion. Music is a vehicle to communicate how you are feeling. And any of you know this. When you are feeling one way, you naturally gravitate toward a music that is communicating that emotion. And if you are feeling another kind of emotion, you will gravitate toward a music that is communicating a very different kind of emotion in a very, very just basic sense. I was a high school basketball player. And before every game, there was a very certain kind of music that was played. It wasn't Bach's Brandenburg Concertos. Why is that? Because my teammates were experiencing a certain kind of emotion. 
a certain kind of feeling. And they needed in their mind a music that propelled them, that drove them a certain beat, that engaged that emotion, that expanded that emotion, and they wanted to feel it. Why is there a part of our culture that engages with heartbreak songs? Bad romance. Why? Because it is communicating something that they are feeling and they identify it. The music is speaking for them. And in fact, this isn't just a secular idea. This is a biblical idea. In James chapter 5, this is what James, his counsel to believers is. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any among you merry, joyful, happy? What does he say? Let him sing psalms. I mean, this is a biblical idea. Are you experiencing this kind of emotion, this kind of feeling? Well, express it. Express it in the vehicle of this psalm. And so when we understand that's the very essence of what music is, this is a part of its unique culture-crossing relevance in our society, it's, it's, it's then we can tie it into the psalms themselves. Because, friends, the psalms speak to every kind of human emotion. Every kind of human feeling. You don't believe me? We could chart it. In fact, one pastor charted uh, the different emotions that come through the psalms, and I don't think I would have done a much better job myself, so I'm just going to identify some of the ones. Loneliness, love, awe, sorrow, regret, contrition, discouragement, turmoil, shame, exaltation, marveling, delight, joy, gladness, fear, anger, peace, grief, desire, hope, Brokenheartedness, gratitude, zeal, pain, confidence. I mean, that was just one list. But you could go through the Psalms, and you could find every one of those feelings in there. Every one of those emotions being expressed to God, and sometimes in an exceptionally raw manner. I mean, let's be honest. How often would we feel like we could come before God in prayer and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, personally, I'm just being honest. That feels to me, like in my prayer life, like, like I, would be, I would be sinning if I were to say just such a thing to God. But yet here it is, in the inspired scripture. And not only is the psalmist saying it, but Jesus is saying it. Jesus is expressing this deep agony. In grief on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He shouts. Now, that says something interesting about human emotion, doesn't it? About human feeling. I have seen a generational just transformation in how we think about emotions. There are some of you that are from families or a school of thought that says you never show your emotions. You just, it's what the Brits would call a stiff upper lip. You just grin and you do what? You bear it. Your emotions, frankly, are irrelevant. You stuff down your feelings because it's not your feelings. It's ultimately what you do. And your feelings to that can be a very difficult thing. You probably have heard one political commentator who says facts don't care about your 
feelings, right? That's just a catchphrase today. Facts don't care about your feelings. Feelings, feelings, feelings. And then, of course, where does the pendulum swing in another generation? To the idea that your feelings, your emotion is really who you are. And so your job in life is to bring out your feelings, to bring out your emotions, and then ultimately to process them together, to, to even perhaps act on them together. So, so how would Scripture speak to this divide when it communicates every kind of emotion in the Psalms? Every single one, every feeling, every emotion. Well, there's something we have to understand about emotions, about our feelings. Our feelings express or reveal what we treasure. Did you know that? Your emotions show you what's valuable to you. And I'll, and I'll exemplify it. If the Minnesota Vikings were ever to win a Super Bowl, <laughs> you can laugh, thank you. That was, that was a good joke. Some people in this state would be absolutely unconquerably happy. They have been waiting for it their entire lives. And do you know other people in the state, including some people probably in this room, it would not affect your emotion in the slightest. You could, you literally could not care less whether the Vikings win or whether they lose. One event makes someone unconquerably happy. One person, it doesn't even move the needle a bit. Why? Because the person who sees great happiness in the Vikings treasure that. They value it. It is something important to them. And their emotional reaction shows. It reveals something. It reveals what they treasure. And in the same way, last evening I was at the Twins game and my three-year-old came to the Twins game with a Twins hat. And he left the game without a twin's hat. Don't ask me where it is. I have no idea. All I know is that it disappeared. And I can tell you that I had a three-year-old who was utterly heartbroken that he came with a twin's hat and left without one. Now, you know, if some of you went to a, a twin's game and you left your twin's hat behind, you would say, oh, well, not a big deal. But to a particular three-year-old, this was crushing. Why? Because it showed what he treasured. It showed what he valued. It affected his emotion. In the same way for you. If you were just to track your emotions, track what is making you sad, track what is making you happy, track what is making you anxious or fearful, track what makes you angry and irritated, you'd have a really good gauge at what you value, at what you really treasure. So in other words, emotions can be like the, the instrumentation on an airplane. I was just on an airplane recently. I had the opportunity to go down uh, for a mediation in a private airplane. And I remember sitting and watching. I was right in the passenger seat looking at these displays. And every single kind of display, every single kind of, of, of reading, it was, like, it was like you were looking at it on a Tesla screen. I mean, it was just incredible. But imagine if that pilot was to get a reading, plane overheating, plane overheating. Ah, oh, whatever that is, turn it off. I don't want to hear anything about it, plane. I don't care how you're feeling. You'd say, well, that's dumb. That's telling you something so you can do something about it. In, in that sense, your, your emotions are like that. Your feelings are like that. They, they're a gauge. They, they are a kind of, of, of screen that is telling you what is valuable to you. Not only do emotions reveal what you treasure, they, they reveal what you think to be true. 
the way you react to things is, a, is an example of what you have engaged in your life as true or as false. One example, when this U.S. Supreme Court issued the Dobbs decision, it was the most, I don't know, the most um, emotionally charged Supreme Court decision, perhaps, of our life, of lifetime. One group of people absolutely elated, another group of people utterly crushed. Why? Because the same event so struck at the heart of what people believe to be true and how they see the world in black and white terms that it created this kind of emotion. And in the same way, what we believe to be true will be reflected in how we respond emotionally or in our feelings to events that occur. Here's the other thing, though. Emotions, the expression of our emotions, reveals who we trust. Who we trust. Because ultimately, you don't share your emotions, your deepest emotions, with everyone. You don't. I don't know anyone, really, who does. It's like having a three-year-old. A three-year-old falls and skins their knee, and a stranger, a complete stranger, comes up and says... Oh, come on, tell me about it. Talk to me about why you're sad. And the three-year-old says, but the three-year-old will go to mom and dad and share what is emotional, share what is being felt. And in the same way, we, our, the expression of our emotion reflects who we trust, who we trust to deal with our feelings. It's interesting, guys, when your wives bring things that are emotional to you, and our reaction is, guys, because we maybe don't feel it is, uh, come on, I don't want to deal with this nonsense. Don't you understand your wife is expressing her trust in you? She is expressing your value to her? When we respond in a kind of way, like, hey, get out of here with that stuff. I, I don't feel it. I don't get it. We're, we're taking her trust, and we're really injuring it in that way. But more deeply, the expression of, of our emotion toward God reflects our trust in him to take what is valuable to us, to take our emotions, our feelings, and deal with them appropriately. I, I noticed, interestingly, in Revelation chapter 6, in heaven itself, do you know what verse 10 tells us? That in heaven itself, the martyrs who have been martyred for the faith are asking God this question. And they cried with a loud voice. They're, they're feeling something. And here's what they're saying. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? That's not sinful for them to be doing in heaven. God, how long they're feeling it. Why? Because they're expressing their trust in him. Oh, God, you are holy and true. You know. But we are expressing to you our deep emotion, our deep feeling about this subject. The Psalms speak for you because they tap in to what you find to be valuable. They tap in to what you find to be true. And they tap in to challenge you about who you are going to trust with your emotions, with your feelings. Let's just take that as a general overview. When the Psalms express very, very uh, passionately 
these deep emotions that we ourselves experience. So first of all, notice the Psalms speak for you. But secondly, I want us to notice that the Psalms speak to you. The Psalms speak to you. Now, I want here now to dive into Psalm chapter 22 together. Should we look into Psalm 22? And I want us to see how this plays itself out here. Notice, first of all, that the Psalms express feeling. They express feeling, and in some cases, very deep, honest, raw feeling. Look with me at verse 1, will you? This is a psalm, we're told, of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, the idea here seems to be this inner dis discomfort, inner distress, like, like you're feeling your emotions just welling up and roaring inside you like a lion, if you've ever felt that or experienced that in your own life. He says in verse 2, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. Now, is that true? He says, God, I'm crying in the daytime, but you're not hearing. And the idea here seems to be, you're not hearing me and responding. You're not, you're not listening and answering. But what, what a remarkable thing to say to God. God, I'm crying to you, and you don't seem to be answering me. You don't seem to be listening. And in the night season, and am not silent. Now, this is the expression of an absolutely raw kind of feeling as it relates to God. And you know, friends, this happens throughout the Psalms, not just here. Listen to what Psalm 69 says, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. God, look, do you see where I am? Psalm 13, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? I want to say, have you ever prayed that to God? Oh God, how long are you going to forget me forever? Forever, God? Listen to this. How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? This is raw. What about Psalm 94, verse 3? Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? This is something that we might ourselves consider. Is he questioning God? Is he challenging God? No, what he's doing is he is expressing honestly his emotion. He is expressing honestly his feeling toward God. And if we're to question whether this is a biblically appropriate thing to do, we have to grapple with Jesus and his own example. You know in Matthew chapter 27, as Jesus hung on the cross, verse number 45 tells us that there was a darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. And this is a picture. The Old Testament picture of darkness is one of God's judgment. God's judgment appeared, if you will, on the scene to be expressing his righteous wrath 
against your sin and mine on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was becoming sin for us. And under the darkness of the universe and under the darkness in separation from God, at the end, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This was not a cry of doubt, but it was a cry of the deepest kind of emotion, the deepest kind of feeling. He cried. He shrieked. He yelled, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now grapple with that for a little bit. Think about how you pray. Think about the kind of agony that Jesus was experiencing on that cross for you and for me. And then think about how he expressed it in a prayer to God, expressing his deepest feeling. How do you pray? How do I pray? Wow. Do you know that's not the only psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross? Do you know that at the very end, right before he died, Luke tells us that he said, Father, into thy hands I commend, I commit my spirit. He said, I'm sorry, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was quoting Psalm 31.5, which says just that, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Jesus was meditating on the Psalms in the hour of his deepest agony. And what was he doing? He was allowing them to speak for him. He was using them to channel what he was feeling and communicate it in prayer toward God. So I draw this, in, I draw this example. You and I should speak the Psalms to express the way we feel. We should use the Psalms to bring our emotions to be directed toward God in prayer. In other words, us guys, and I'm saying guys, but I know it could be other things. Those of us who are from the school of just ignore, tamp down, stamp on any kind of feeling, any kind of emotion, grit your teeth and bear it, I don't see that even from Jesus. Because there is a way in which these psalms speak for us in our emotion, in our deepest feeling. And it is right and it is good. But notice, secondly, even from Psalm 22, not only does this psalm express feeling, but it engages with truth. Now, this is absolutely critical if we're going to know how to use the psalms. Because the psalmist doesn't stop with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look at how he begins wrestling with the truth. Will you notice this with me? Notice he says, verse 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. He begins grappling with the truth of what he knows about God's character, about what God has done in the past. He says, they cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. He begins to wrestle with the truth. And then notice what he says. But, now if you'll just notice in Psalm 22, that word, but comes back and forth again. It's like, he's, it's like he's in an argument with himself. He's speaking truth to himself, but then his feelings come up again, and he says, oh no, i got to get back to the truth, and he's going back and forth. 
Notice he says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And on and on in this psalm, you can look at it for yourself. Not only is this a wonderful depiction of Jesus' suffering on the cross, an absolutely spot-on description of a crucifixion, that shows the messianic character, the prophetic character of this psalm. David himself, in whatever he had been going through, was wrestling and engaging with the truth. He said in verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb. He goes back to experience, to to express what he's experiencing right now. But he says, verse 19, But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns, likely the wild oxen. Now again, what's going on here? Do you know what gets back to those two pendulum swings that we talked about? We can either either have a view that we never need grapple with our emotions, we never need grapple with the way we're feeling, we just stomp it down. And we have seen the Psalms are expressing this emotion to God. They They are communicating to Him what they're feeling. But on the other hand, where has the pendulum swung in the modern world? Your emotions are the real you. So bring them out. Get them onto the table. Feel them. And that is the real you. And the Christian says, no. No, because I know my heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked. I know that my emotions sometimes reflect that I value the wrong things, or I value the sometimes not wrong things, but I value them more than I should. My emotions reflect that sometimes I embrace lies from the devil and I need to replace them with truth. My emotions are not a perfect caliber, a perfect gauge to what is right for me to think and to act. Do you know, friends, one day in heaven, you're never going to need to calibrate your emotions because you as a perfectly, uh, uh, as a perfected being will have emotions that are always calibrated to what is true and what you should treasure perfectly. What a wonderful thing that will be. But right now, you're not perfect. And so your emotions, while we should express them toward God, nonetheless need to be engaged with. They need to be wrestled with. That's why, for example, in Psalm, 22, or Psalm 42, the psalmist says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? He's engaging with his emotions. He's engaging with the way he feels. He's not just stomping it down. He's expressing it. And he's saying what? Hope in God. He's engaging with what is true. And you know, for some of us, when we have our emotions that we express toward God in prayer, it's good and it's right. But then you know what we need to do? We need to start wrestling with truth. We don't just sit in the way we're feeling. We don't just allow our emotions to be the only soundtrack of our lives. We start engaging with what the Bible says, who God is, who we are, and what the Word teaches. You see that here in Psalm 22? He expresses his feeling. And then he starts engaging with who God is. But God, this is who you are. And you and I need to do the exact same thing. This is how we use the Psalms. The Psalms speak for us. Yes, we speak them back to God. And then we allow them to engage with us. We allow them to speak to us. 
One more thing. Not only does this psalm express feeling, not only does it engage with truth, but do you know what it does? It ultimately embraces truth. And I love this. Will you look with me back at verse 21? That last phrase of verse 21, when he says, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Do you know the whole psalm changes there? Read what comes next. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. Ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. And on and on and on and on. What is the testimony? It is someone who has embraced the truth, and guess what? It has changed the way he feels. I love this about this psalm, and I love this about any of us who have really tried to grapple with the way we're feeling before God. I have experienced this when I have, when I have been discouraged. I can, I can testify to it, and I think many people around the room would say the same thing. I've taken my discouragement to God. I've taken the way I'm feeling to God. I've been honest with him. I've cast all my care upon him, for he cares for us. And I engaged with the truth, and I began to work my way through the truth and grapple with the truth. And you know what? It changed the way I felt. And suddenly I was responding to God with praise. I was responding to him with joy and with contentment. Friends, that's biblical. How do you use the Psalms? Use the Psalms to express how you're actually feeling honestly to God. He says to pray about everything. He says casting all your care upon him. What a friend we sing. We have in Jesus all, all our sins and griefs to bear. He was the one who came to carry your sorrows, to bear them, to bear your griefs. And he says, cast all your care upon me. So we use the Psalms to express to God the way we feel. And then what do we do? We use the Psalms to engage with the truth that is contained in those Psalms. And we wrestle with it and we grapple with it, not out of doubt, but out of faith. And then what do we do? We ultimately, God, by God's grace, embrace the truth and allow it even to direct the way we feel in a way that is biblical. What an amazing thing. And so if the Psalms speak for us and we should speak those Psalms to God, and if those Psalms speak to us, not just to come and enforce the way we feel, but to shape our feelings and to direct our emotions and to bring out what is biblical from them, then what? Our third point, and very simply, is this. The Psalms must be with you. The Psalms must be with me. Now, let me encourage us on this. I am grateful for our our. our our yearly Bible reading calendar that in this summer season has us going through the Psalms. But may I just plead with you, don't just read the Psalms in the summer on your daily Bible reading calendar. Don't do it. As much as you can, make the Psalms a daily part of your life. I remember my father teaching us the way that you can engage with the Psalms every single day. Do you know it's very simple? There are about five Psalms every day that will correspond to the date you are in the month. 
if you are on July 22, you just read Psalm 22 and add 30. Psalm 52, Psalm 82, Psalm 112, and Psalm 142. Five psalms. Are you on, psalm eight, are you on, on August 8? Psalm 8, Psalm 38, Psalm 68, Psalm 98, Psalm 128. That would be one, just one example of a way for you to engage with the psalms. Here's another way. As you read through the psalms this year, start cataloging what emotions the psalms are tracking. Make a spreadsheet. Make a table. Identify once and say, wow, this psalm is really speaking to someone who's in grief right now. You know, I'm going to file that one away. And I'm going to make a list of those psalms that speak to people who are grieving. And the next time I'm grieving, I'm going there. And I'm going to allow the psalm to speak for me and to speak to me. Maybe you see a psalm that speaks to you when you are feeling joyful and when you are feeling absolutely exhilarated about something. You know what, God? I'm going to allow this joy to speak for me, but then I'm going to center back to who you are, and I'm going to allow this psalm to speak to me when I'm joyful. That's the idea. Whatever it is, whatever method you choose, don't just allow the psalms to be your summer reading. Allow the psalms to speak to you so they change the way you begin to relate to your own feeling, to your own uh, uh, to your own emotion, no matter the season of the year. The Psalms must be with you. Jesus on the cross was able to communicate the Psalm that matched his emotion, his feeling in that moment, because he had already mastered that for himself. He was already living out the purpose of what the Psalm was for. And just one more encouragement. How can you use the Psalms? Well, we have two challenges in our New Testaments. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in Psalms. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is that? Using the Psalms. Using them on a day-to-day basis to allow the Holy Spirit to control the way that you are feeling and thinking and acting. I love the verse that comes after that. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Holy Spirit do when we sing and speak to ourselves and to others with the Psalms? He enables us to give thanks always for all things in a grateful and contented manner. Why? Because the Psalms tend to shape the way we feel, even as they allow us to express the way we feel. Colossians 3 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Friends, the psalms are gems. They are gems to speak for you. Just like my colleague said about Taylor Swift, why does she have such an appeal? Because she speaks for people. Well, ignore her for just a minute. The Psalms speak for you and allow them to speak for you in your daily experience with your emotion, with your feeling, with what you are experiencing that day. But don't just allow them to speak for you. Then allow them to speak to you, to communicate what is true, to expose what is false about the way you're feeling, and then ultimately to allow your emotions to be guided, directed, to be shaped by the Spirit of God, ultimately, as Ephesians 5 tells us, 
toward a spirit of gratitude, giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as we go from here tonight, let's commit ourselves to use the Psalms, both to speak for us, ultimately to speak to us, and therefore engage us for the Psalms to be with us.